Well, hey, friends, welcome to The Collective Podcast, where we strive to highlight ordinary women living extraordinary lives of faithfulness. And we want to unite, inspire, equip, and unleash God's women to be all that they can be in light of what God's done for us. We are so glad you're here. Well, welcome, ladies. You're listening to the final episode of season two of the Collective Podcast. I am your co-host, Chelsea Shea Friesen, and joining me today is my amazing co-host, Holly Carpenter. Hey, Chels. And then all the way from a glorious vacation, Callie Nixon is joining us. Hey, girl. What's up, ladies? Committed. Committed. Hashtag committed. Hashtag committed. (laughs) Y'all, listen, I am on vacay but I do love you. And I really felt like I needed to be here for this episode because today's episode is like this beautiful culmination. We have hit on some hard topics during season two. Can I get an amen? Amen. So much so that we can't wait. We're not going to share with you exactly what's coming at you on season three, but it's going to be joyful. Okay. But what we're doing today is we're going to kind of take Um, a smorgasbord, if you will, of all the things that you guys have written in saying, man, I know you guys have hit on a ton of obstacles to faithfulness thus far, but I think there's a couple more. And so we've kind of accumulated all of your answers and we're going to hit on the top four that you guys have asked us to. And then there's obviously so many more that we can't cover. So we'll have tons of resources in our sermon notes today, but I cannot wait for everything we're going to talk about today. And so Holly, why don't you kick us off with one of the most requested ideas for obstacles to faithfulness? So the first topic that we're going to cover today is the topic of apathy. And the questions that came in on it were pretty specific to circumstances. But what we wanted to do is kind of take that high level overview of what even is apathy? What does scripture say about it? How have we seen it in our lives? And then how do we want to encourage you on that topic today? And so I picked this topic because it's something that I've walked with in my life and my relationship with the Lord and my professional, personal, spiritual, emotional. It's just something that I've experienced. And so wanted to share some of the things that I've learned. When we talk about apathy, I really, I wanted to look up the definition. So we're going to start with the Merriam-Webster's dictionary, he says. (laughs) Tell us, girl, what does it say? But apathy, the definition of it is a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. So really it is meh. It's just like, I'm not on one side or the other. It's just a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. And so when I took the time to sit down and look at where apathy shows up in scripture, it shows up in a few different ways, but these were three common buckets that I found it represented in scripture. So the first one is probably the first one that comes to mind for most people, and it's apathetic towards God, towards our relationship with him, towards our interaction with Totally. Him. Yes. That's like, the first thing when you say that, I'm like, I'm not an apathetic person. Mm-hmm. Ooh, but maybe if I assess certain aspects of my walk, yes. I totally can be apathetic. Exactly. And so where the first verse that came to mind for me was in Revelation 3, 15 through 16, it was written to the people of Laodicea, one of the wealthiest cities that these people had everything that they needed. And so they really lacked nothing. And the verse says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And in this scripture, we see that 
there's this this option of people to be either hot or cold in this metaphor. And uh, these people are landing in the middle, that they're lukewarm. They're neither hot nor cold. And the Lord is saying like, hey, I want you to pick one because there's no option of the in-between. You are either on one side or the other. You are either passionately for me or you're not. And seeing it in that perspective, it's like, wow, when I'm apathetic, when I feel like I'm that lukewarm in the middle, that's really not even an option for me. I have to pick one side or the other in my relationship, pursuit, desire to spend time with God. The second way that we see apathy show up is apathetic towards sin. So apathetic toward the uh, the fight against sin that's present in our lives, the temptation that comes up against us. When we have sin that's presented towards us and the, the enemy's trying to tempt us, the apathy that we can feel of like, well, I'm just not really going to do anything about it. I'm not going to actively pursue it. I'm not going to actively fight against it. I'm just going to be apathetic towards it. Uh, the verse that I came across for this, it just reminded me of James 4, 17. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him is sin. And it just shows up in a way that uh, it represents no desire to repent. And it's the the feeling, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but just not wanting to respond to it or acknowledge it, almost like putting it, sweeping it under the rug and pretending like it's not there. Yeah. And Holly, this one hits me really hard because I feel like for me, numbness is like a cousin, a close cousin to apathy. Mm -hmm. And this is where I can get, like, if you were to ask me, Callie, are you numb or apathetic towards your sin? I would say, oh my gosh, no, not at all. Mm -hmm. But if you then equated my belief with my actions, sometimes I just feel like I've like earned a break, which can turn into, we've talked about it on here before, like, more Netflix Netflix episodes than what I think I should be watching or something. And it really is a form of apathy mm-hmm. towards our life as a believer, which is a battle. Like that's what it's yeah. always been. Exactly. Exactly. So then the third bucket that I saw this represented is apathetic towards others. So apathetic towards pursuing others, caring for others, being a representative of the gospel, being that mission-minded, kingdom-minded person that the Lord created us to be and just apathetic towards that. And I saw this represented in Romans 12, 11, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit and serving the Lord. And so this represents itself in slothfulness towards literally participating in the work of God and being on mission with him, where we need to be in a position to be fervent in spirit and serving God by serving others. Like that's one of the greatest ways that we can serve God is by serving others. So those were the three big buckets that I saw it represented in scripture. One of my favorite verses in Deuteronomy says, if you do not serve the Lord your God with joy and enthusiasm Mm -hmm. for all the abundant gifts you have received, he will put an iron yoke upon your neck. And I think about like he, he highly values joy and enthusiasm in your work. The heart posture of what we're walking in, whether it's like you said, our spiritual walk and what we're learning about who he is and how he wants us to be sanctified or, you know, pursuing um, healing and growth away from sin or pursuing others towards the cross. If you're just going through the emotions, like he's like, man, that is not, I want your heart in this. Mm -hmm. I want you in the game with me. Right. And that's so important. So Holly, how, when you're apathetic, what could you encourage me, others listening, mm-hmm. like, what do we do with apathy? Because it's kind yeah. of hard. I'm like, well, if I don't care, how do I start caring? Yeah. So what's really funny is I was talking to some friends preparing for this and just getting their perspective on apathy and what they thought of in scripture and what it looked like in their lives. And the thing that we realized is apathy is never the problem. It's never the root problem. Mm. It's always this representation of something deeper within. And so if we're not 
moving from a spot of enthusiasm or joy or passion to serve the Lord, that's not where it stops. Like one of the biggest things I learned in region is to keep going deeper and asking, but why, but where does that come from? But where does that come from? So for me, what's been so helpful in just battling apathy is taking the time to sit down and ask those deeper questions. Why, where's this being influenced? What's influencing this? Where, like how deep can I go to get to the root problem that is then influencing the outpouring of my relationship with the Lord. So some of the things that I've realized in my life as I ask those questions is apathy for me can come from unconfessed sin where I feel like I'm being condemned instead of being convicted. And Mm -hmm. it leads to that numbness that you were talking about, Callie. Like I'm just numb to it. And if I don't do anything about it, then it's not even a problem. It's shown me that I can find comfort and things of this world, like the people in Laodicea and Revelation, like if I'm finding comfort in all the things around me and I don't need anything, then I'm not going to be pursuing the Lord because I'm not in need where he wants us to be in a spot where we're consistently coming to him and asking for help and not finding comfort in the idols of this world. And then finally, the biggest one for me that I find time and time again to the point where when I find I'm apathetic, I'm like, I know this is the problem. Like, thank you, Lord, for showing me. Let us, you know, pick back up and move on. It's just frustration and anger and discontentment when my life doesn't go according to my plan. So if the Lord has a different story for me, which he always does, and it's always better, I find in myself that I grow apathetic towards spending time with him because things aren't going my way. And it has been such a blessing to push past, okay, well, I'm feeling apathetic. I guess I just shouldn't feel that way anymore. And to go deeper, to realize like, this is what's keeping me from pursuing the Lord. So back to your original question, Chelsea, of like, how can we encourage other women? One, I want just to remind y'all, you're not alone. Like, I hope there's some encouragement in me saying, like, I struggle with apathy. I don't wake up every single day and think, like, the number one thing I want to do right now is open up my Bible totally. and spend time with God. It's yeah. like, it's it's a battle because my heart is prone to follow the things of this world. And so you're not alone and you're not the first. I think... There's a lot of times where God addresses things in Scripture because he knows that we're going to struggle with it. And uh, the fact that we can find places in Scripture that talk about this means that he's not surprised that we can grow apathetic towards him. One of the things I started praying this last year, and it's kind of an ironic prayer because you're like, this goes so against Western culture. But Proverbs 37 through 9, there's a prayer in there, and and they say, don't make me either rich or poor. Just give me enough food for each day. If I have too much, I might reject you and say, I don't know. I don't know the Lord, and (laughs) I am poor. I might steal and disgrace the name of my God. And, And if I have too much, I will also turn away from you. And so in that same vein, like, Pray that God would keep you in a place where you are not apathetic. Mm -hmm. Pray against apathy that it would not be that little seed that just starts to numb you out and becomes this bigger, humongous Mm -hmm. issue. I, I truly believe you have to get on the front side of things like that and say, hey, God, if this is my ditch, that if I'm too comfortable in this way or that, like, it's so scary to pray this, but Mm -hmm. then God, I trust you keep me a little uncomfy. And what's so sweet is like one of the things I have written down here is like asking the Holy Spirit for help. We have a helper for a reason and he was given to us like after Jesus ascended because we need help. And so asking the Holy Spirit help cultivate a desire within me to spend time with you because that's what I want. And I don't have that in my flesh right now. And I need you to soften my heart. So ask the Holy Spirit for help and clarity, conviction and change. Remember that the remedy is cultivating intimacy with Jesus, like in John 15, and it's operating out of a love for God. And I just, I think of Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, 
and uh, and just am reminded of like, man, God is good. Like he wants to spend time with us. He wants a relationship with us. And there's times where we don't, but in all of this, man, the Lord's here for us and we're not alone and we're not the first. I love that so much, Holly. And the one thing that I would also add is surround yourself with people who are running hard after Jesus, Mm -hmm. because it's really difficult to like live in your apathy when you're on mission with people. Like I think about it kind of like a soldier, you know, like for a soldier to be given battle orders, it's hard to just sit back as opposed to if you're by yourself and alone. So if we surround Mm -hmm. ourselves with a community of people who's running hard, then we're going to be less inclined to give into our apathetic, you know, desires and pullings. And I also think that that kind of leads me into the second one is if we're thinking about surrounding ourselves with people, sometimes there are going to be those people that spend seasons, whether they're long or short, um, kind of in the wilderness and far from God. And so the second one we're going to talk about is just how do we love people who are far from God. And um, the scripture that I think is such a perfect representation of this is in Luke 15 and it's 11 through 32. And if you're walking with Christ, you probably know this story. It's called the the story of the prodigal son. And so it's just where the son literally demands his inheritance at a young age and he goes away and he just squanders all of his wealth. And finally, when a famine hits the land, he's like eating among the pigs and like, man, my dad treats his servants better than how I'm being treated right now. And so he comes home and there's this really long period that we don't know how long, but he spends time away from home. And when he comes back, it's just this, it's one of the most like beautiful reunions in scripture, right? So it's just the father dropping everything he's doing, running to the son, welcoming him with open arms. And I think for our friends out there who are in the midst of this season of loving people who are far from God. And what I'll say is if you can't think of anybody in your life who (laughs) is far from God, you need to make some friends who don't look like you. So um, (laughs) just to encourage my friends that are, um, one, there is such a privilege to fight for the souls of men and women. C.S. Lewis says, you've never met a mere mortal. People are either immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. And so um, they're one of two things. And they are, we all have an eternity. And so what I think about is I think about this in three steps, right? So the dad didn't run after the son, right? So I think with our friends who are far from God, we create boundaries as they walk away. So there's a boundary that I'm going to hold where I think about Psalm 130 verse six, and it says, my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning. And so in the old times when cities were being guarded with watchmen, they would be keeping watch during the night. And what's beautiful about that is the watchmen didn't leave the boundaries of the city, but they stood guard in the city waiting to see anyone who might be coming toward the city. And so I kind of think about that as like, we're watchmen. And so we're keeping watch. We're keeping vigil through the night, waiting for our people who don't know the love of Christ or who aren't currently experiencing intimacy with the Lord. And we create that boundary. And man, I'm, I'm sometimes going to run after you and remind you of the truth of Christ, but sometimes I'm just going to wait and I'm not going to work harder for you to love Jesus than you do. And then I also think we keep the biggest, biggest thing of someone who's far from the Lord is never, ever give up hope. Mm-hmm. We keep hope from the fact that when they're far from home, that we believe that they're going to return. Callie, when you were saying that, 
I'm such a visual person. I love the imagery of this city, and that's so biblically sound. And then this other pairing image came to my mind. It's like, we are meant to be a lighthouse. A lighthouse isn't two miles inland. It's right on the cusps of the rock, on the edge of the storm, shining its light far out as a beacon all around. The lighthouse doesn't go into Mm -hmm. the ocean to bring the ship home. Mm, It has to stay on those rocks, even if it's getting beaten down and the storm is crashing on it. And so you just have to remind yourself, I have to stay right here, plant myself on the edge of this boundary and pray Mm -hmm. that this light is welcoming and warming enough that they can be directed back towards Yeah, and like having hope in the midst of that too. I'm always reminded of 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 that says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And having the hope of like, man, the Lord redeemed me. And if he can redeem me, he can redeem others. Like it took time for him to redeem me, Holly. And so I can be patient. I can rejoice in the ways that the Lord saved me. I can pray for those around me without ceasing. And I can give thanks that I have the opportunity to be an image bearer in this opportunity for others around me. Holly, I think that is so good to remember, you know, we're joyful in our hope. We're patient in our affliction because we don't want to pretend like, this doesn't hurt. Right. Mm -hmm. I think it hurts for me to see my friends who never trusted in Christ be far from the Lord and be experiencing some of the pain that comes with disobedience. I think it probably hurts more for my friends. I don't know about you guys, but for my friends who once tasted and saw that Mm -hmm. the Lord was good and who have um, just given in to the pulls of the world. I think there's, there's always pain involved in that. But I think you know, what did the father do while he was waiting for his son to come home? He kept working. He kept being faithful. He kept doing what he was supposed to do and he never gave up hope. And so um, that's kind of the third thing that I would say is have expectant joy as they return home. And so I think joy and hope is everything in this scenario. And I think what I've done, like you said, Holly, is I have learned There is so many miracles that I've gotten to watch God do in my life that anytime I start doubting about one certain individual, like, oh, they're too far gone, I'll just go read a Watermark News story Mm -hmm. or I'll go like listen to one of the re-engaged testimonies. Um, My husband and I serve and re-engage and every single week there is a story where you're like, there is no way those people should still even want to be in the same room together, let alone be like pursuing intimacy and oneness with Jesus. And one of my most favorite ones um, was a couple in Reengage the Allens, and they're just amazing, sweet people. But um, they had gone through a divorce, and they had kids that had been wounded and um, in pain just from what the choices that they had made. And God slowly just started, um, first moved in one of their hearts first. They started coming to Reengage by themselves. Slowly, the other one started noticing small changes and how that person wasn't talking about, hey, this is what you did, but more talking about, man, I'm, I'm really working on myself. We say famously, they started drawing a circle around themselves, really working on what was inside it. And that really wooed their partner to come back to re-engage to where they started attending re-engage together as a divorced couple. And then a few years ago, my husband had the privilege of getting to remarry them. And I cried through the whole wow. darn thing. And as he remarried them, Ryan was so in reality where he looked his kids in the eye and was like, you guys, this had some pain involved in it. This isn't without hardship, but God never gives up hope. God is in the business of making dead things come 
alive. And that's what he did with your parents. What their marriage that once was dead is now alive. And they're now serving in our re-engage marriage ministry, being another story where it's like, don't give up hope because the Lord is never done working. It's not over. Forget about the fat lady singing. It is not over <laughs> until the Lord says it is over. So I think that's just what I would say to encourage our listeners today is don't give up hope. And man, be really, really proactive about your top 10 list. You know, who, who, what, that's a phrase that we use around Watermark. We at all times would love to have 10 people that we're proactively praying for either to fall in love with Jesus for the first time, or if it's someone who once was close to the Lord and is now far from him, be praying every single day and not being afraid that when the Lord moves you to have those conversations about, Hey, how's this going for you right now? Like I would have loved to talk to that prodigal son who left home when he's in the midst of the pigs going, this working out for you, buddy. You know, there's another option. The Lord's waiting for you. And I think at some point, I believe that the people we love are going to hit that point where they're going to want to come home and we're going to be the watchman on the wall just with arms open going, welcome back. We're so glad that you're home. Even last night, um, I was talking with somebody about a friend of ours who was unfaithful in marriage and how, quite frankly, they walked through some hard seasons. They went through region as well or re-engaged. And now they have one of the most thriving, amazing marriages. And I look at them as truly an example of what I hope to grow into as I mature in my marriage and as parents. And it's just proof after proof that God is so faithful um, to just use the messes of our story. Mm. And, And that leads me into our next discussion, which is discipline. So discipline is a tricky word because like we just said, like a lot of times you think of being called to the principal's office and that's one kind of discipline. But today we're going to hone in on self-discipline and we're going to focus a little bit more on what it looks like to be pursuing training and um, learning what God has to say about that area of discipline. I often feel like people will throw out the phrase like, fake it till you make it. And I absolutely loathe that in every sense. That is just such an unhealthy, toxic thought to have. But what I do love is when you're pursuing something that's good and healthy is to keep in mind, hey, I'm going to train this until it's true. Because often when you're walking in a season where you need to grow in discipline, <laughs> ooh, that's yeah, might drop training. Again, girl. All right, let me, let me preach. Tell to the people. <laughs> okay, truly. So often we're going to hear, fake it till you make it. And that is just not, that's not healthy. And so instead, you need to train it until it's true. And the difference that those words put in your head are that you're taking, when it's a healthy goal, you are not sitting in a place of inauthentic posture. Mm -hmm. You're pursuing something that today is not organic, but not inauthentic. And there's a difference. And especially when it comes to wanting to mature in your faith, Girls, that, that is where we cannot use that. Fake it till you make it. You've got to start small and train it. But I want to just knee jerk, Callie Holly. When you hear the word discipline, like what's your immediate response? Ooh, positive or negative? I feel like you're in trouble. Like oh, you're, you're going okay. to the principal's office. You're going to be disciplined. I immediately think the negative, negative connotation of it. Callie? Oh, and mine is like, ugh, vomit. Like quit taking my carbs from me. Like that. <laughs> That's what I think about it. <laughs> oh my God. And, and so it's so funny. My knee jerk is actually super positive. I think of like working out, healthy eating, balanced budgets, like all these things that we Bad. want that are, that are great. It's like, hey, I'm going to keep my house tidy. I'm going to do my quiet time. 
and they're all life-giving things. But then like, I'm sort of like, y'all, when I really take a second, that's like probably my inner enthusiast. I'm like, yeah, discipline. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes time to like show up and do work, I'm like, oh, okay. So like I got to do a push-up if I want muscles or mm-hmm. I can't eat that. Okay, cool. Or quite frankly, taking us into like a more spiritual thing. Oh, wow, that hurts to hear about myself. Man, that is painful. That is so painful. So here is what God's word has to say about discipline. And here is what that shows me about God and his design for us. In Hebrews 12, 11, it says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. I was hoping you'd say this mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm, girl, it seems painful. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And, and that's just so encouraging because what I see in God's design for us through discipline is that the pain of training will eventually lessen and the result not only in peace but in holiness. That training has this, it is an assured result. How often in life do you get reassurance this will happen? And what he says is spiritually, when you pursue me, you will find peace, period. Mm-hmm. No ifs, ands, or buts. You will mm-hmm. find holiness. Done. And I just love knowing that there are clear-cut results to that. Uh, it just warms my heart. I'm like, okay, there's something I can actually just be, a sh- like, I can walk in with confidence. Mm-hmm. And Proverbs 12, 1 says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. This next part, y'all. Proverbs is always a punch in the face. Everybody get ready to just be a little bit slapped. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. That's the (laughs) NLT version, everybody, but it is awesome. And it just like, it's so colloquial and conversational. It makes me giggle. And what that shows me about God's design for us is if we value our lives and our maturation, we must learn to greatly appreciate the pains and gains of training our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our body. Truly, it's, it's just... If we value our lives and our spiritual maturation, our physical maturation, we must learn to greatly appreciate the pains and the gains of training our hearts, minds, and soul and body. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, otherwise we're stupid. <laughs> I need you to like quit getting up in my business and reading my mail right now. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It, it, honestly, it's so good. I just want to tell you, like I'm receiving what you're saying right now, because I think in the spiritual realm, and then even professionally, I can be like, let's go. This is worth it. We are fighting for the kingdom. And then honestly, when it comes to like my physical health and my body, I'm helping my sister-in-law train for a triathlon right now. And the last couple of days, we've been really hitting it hard. And I tell you, in those moments, I'm like, I would actually rather breathe right now than be disciplined. <laughs> and I'm like actively <laughs> fighting against it. So it's just so good to remind yourself like, hey, you're not going to like that right now in the moment, like Hebrews is saying, but you're doing it for the weight of glory that is eternal, whether it's your body or your physicality or scripture memory or treating people with kindness, whatever, like the Lord is calling you to be more disciplined in. I want you to know I'm receiving it. I'm mm-hmm. being taught. Well, and what I love about just this topic is that it's not just for us. It reveals something about God's character and design for us. And it shows us he's this all-knowing perfect parent who's concerned and coach who's concerned with our best interests, not just rules that sometimes we look at discipline, whether it's self-discipline or getting disciplined. And we're like, he's, he's this killjoy who's just trying to slap my hand. And what, when you really start to uncover God's heart here, he's like, no, this is part of me. Boundaries and health, they're part of who I am and they're for your good. 
And so 1 Corinthians 9.27 says, But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. And God's design says that lacking discipline is a cycle that can lead to total disqualification in the eyes of man. Like one little thing can just sprout to so many areas. And I'm not talking about like, but I mean, it does apply to physical stuff too, but I'm talking like we're going spiritual here. If we don't keep the small footholds and and keep patching those up, like that is where Satan gets in and starts growing big weeds. And obviously God sees and forgives us and we can't earn or disqualify from his affection. Like we just can't. So that's a caveat. You just have to hear that. But as believers, if we want to stand out from culture, we are called to learn discipline, which leads me into one more area of discipline, which is the way less fun version, which is being disciplined. Mm -hmm. So that might lead you to ask, okay, well, what are the practical ways we can begin to walk in obedience in the area of discipline? I've got two resources. One, your Bible. Two, this is something I read recently. It's going to be in our show (laughs) notes. It's a non-Christian resource, but it is excellent. Atomic Habits by James Clear. And one of the big things it talks about is starting small, And simply starting, if you just begin, if this is one of the things he says, so I'm not ripping this off entirely, (laughs) but he says, if you're in an airplane and they change one degree and you're going from New York to Dallas, one degree, you will end up from the beginning of your trip to the end of your trip going from New York to Dallas, change it one degree, New York to California. That is how significant, and I'm probably (laughs) saying that wrong. Y'all here, this is my exaggeration, but so go read the book and he has the exact numbers, but this is the point. One degree when you are a moving mobile person who is pursuing life will dramatically and drastically change the outcome of where you end up. And so um, when it comes to faith, whether it's spiritual, physical, or mental, the pursuit of training must begin with rooting yourself in the identity of Christ's love if you ever want to see the needle move on your behavior changes. Cementing and focusing your identity in Jesus and who he says you are and who he says you can be is the only way to truly train faith-based life change. Behavior management will always fail, period. It will always fail if you don't have the right heart posture. And that's where that 1% really matters. And that's quite frankly where apathy mm-hmm. comes to play. Exactly, It really does. Yeah. And so train it till it's true. God just doesn't call us to fake it till we make it. And I love I love that you referenced the Hebrews 12 passage earlier because one of the words that gives me a lot of comfort in it is later. It will later yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Like you yeah. changing that one degree does not instantly get you from Dallas to New York and instead Dallas to California. It's like it will later get you there. And it's, it's this long-term investment that comes out of the passionate overflow of the love that we have for Jesus and helps us get to that point totally. eventually. And it reminds me of this verse in Isaiah. It's Isaiah 55, 11, and it's or 55, 10 and 11, but it says, the rain and the snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. And so when it comes to spiritual training and discipline, something I want to say to that girl who's like me and is out there thinking, man, the biggest area where I struggle in discipline is reading my Bible and pursuing my faith. This verse tells us that sometimes when we go to God's word, it's going to fall in a snowy patch and it's going to be icy and it's just going to store up on the top of the mountain. But if you think about a mountain that's storing up a bunch of snow at the top, eventually, like we talked about, 
when the sun hits it and it melts, that water comes flooding down into a beautiful plain, and it is what provides all the lushness in the bottom of that mountain. And so even if you're going through some motions that you're like, this is not yielding the fruit that I thought it would today, mm -hmm. I want you to go back to Isaiah 55, 10, 11, and think about, hey, if I'm pursuing spiritual maturity and this is just, I'm apathetic, or I need to get more disciplined, girl, it's just building up on the snowy mountain of your heart. And God plans, he tells us, it will accomplish all I want it to, God's word, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. So keep being faithful. Don't fake it till you make it in your faith. That's not what he's asking for. Train it till it's true. Chelsea Shay, that is beautiful. And I was just sort of like, yes and amen. You know, like I, I think my life is blessed by thinking in word pictures. And so when someone can draw a picture for me like that, it just makes so much more sense in my brain. And the one that you said that I think I want to tack on to our last topic that I'm just going to hit on kind of quickly is that idea of really what you're talking about is from a fixed point, you have a ray that's never ending in one, one place. And if you change it one degree, then it, you end up in two very, very, very different places. And I've seen that play out in really healthy ways in my life. And then also probably unhealthy ways in my life. Um, but the one, so we've talked about, we've talked about apathy. We've talked about loving people who are far from God. And we've talked about discipline. And the last one that we want to hit on today is resentment. And the reason we're going to touch on it quickly is because Holly and Chelsea, I don't know about you guys, but I see this played out. Um, it is prolific totally. in the culture, even among believers. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is thinking about that Ray and that one degree off is it starts with a tiny little thought, maybe of jealousy, um, maybe that person didn't do anything to you, but you are resenting the fact that maybe they got the position you wanted, or maybe they're being lauded for a gift that you wish you had. And there's a little bit of resentment that just starts to creep in. Um, maybe somebody hurt your feelings. And instead of following, you know, what we would call conflict resolution process laid out in Matthew 18, you just kind of hold it in and you kind of just, um, I'm just going to like, that's water under the bridge. I'm going to get over it, which we all know turns into like a festering scar and it grows and it grows and it grows. It doesn't just go away. Um, and what ends up happening is you've created this place where you've had distance between someone you care about or between someone you work with. And there's this wound there when it comes to thinking about that person, maybe that person actually really did hurt you. And so maybe there's a reason for that hurt to be there, but what, instead of choosing to work through our hurt and forgiving the person, what we do is we internalize our unmet expectations, we internalize our hurt, and all of a sudden, all of this resentment has grown. And I just want to tell anybody listening, y'all, it is poison. And if we continue to harbor resentment, that's the same thing as unforgiveness. And so unforgiveness, you've probably heard this phrase before, but unforgiveness is like making a poison for someone else and drinking it yourself. So the person who's really going to be harmed and depleted and hurt through maintaining resentment and unforgiveness is going to be ourselves if we do that to ourselves. So I think it can just be so dangerous and I just want to warn us about it. And so the couple things that I would tell you to do is number one, check in with your feelings. I've had conversations with friends before where I've said, guys, I'm kind of noticing, um, a little distance between you and me. Uh, what is it? Is there something going on? And ultimately when we process through it, there was some hurt there, but that person just hadn't taken the time 
to figure out what it was that was bothering them. And so I would encourage us, check in with how you're doing. Don't just sweep it under the rug. Don't just pretend like it's not there. But I would take some time to go, hey, where am I experiencing pain as it comes to either the Lord or this relationship or my profession? And the quick caveat here is we don't have to just forget about the pain, right? Like there is sometimes relationships are fractured and there's trust that needs to be rebuilt. But I think after you check in with your feelings, I would tell you to forgive. And that could also be translated as let it go, which I think some people might be like, okay, you're just telling me to like be better. And (laughs) I don't think that's- Yeah, just move on. It's like, that's not what we're saying. But I think if we remember that our resentment is harmful to us, you're really doing the best for yourself to be healthy and letting it go. And it's not even the concept of like, letting it go and forgetting about it. It's entrusting it to the one you should entrust it to. Like God is the ultimate judge. He is over every detail of our lives. He knows everything that has happened to us, around us, within us. And he's the one that can be trusted for the payment of other people's sins, for our sins, like all that's been paid for on the cross by Jesus. And and so it's the concept of letting go isn't just forgetting it and moving on. It's laying it down. Like it's taking it out of my hands and saying, God, I trust you with it. You are the judge, the justice one who will take care of this. Exactly. It's not like what all the, you used to see on those little Christian posters, like let go and let God, <laughs> you know, it, but it's really enacting. Holly, you just perfectly paraphrased Romans twelve nineteen. It says, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God for it is written. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Now, does that mean on earth? We want to like pray that the Lord goes and strikes down the people that we're angry or frustrated Mm -hmm. with. No, but it does mean that we're literally putting our hurt and our pain into the hands of the Lord and giving him the right to be the one who fights for our justice, the one who fights for our rightness. One of the beautiful ways that I've seen this be played out, honestly, is with one of our collective volunteers. She's going through some really difficult times with some people that she's in relationship with, and there's even a judge involved. And as she's pleading her case, I have been so blessed by her attitude where she's like, I don't need to prove that I'm right before this judge. I don't need to prove that I'm right before all the people in my life. I stand before the Lord clear and free. And I know that he's the one that fights for me. I need only to be still, which is just one of the most beautiful ways that I can see of going, I'm not going to harbor resentment against a court system. I'm not going to harbor resentment against people in my life who I feel like are wronging me because of the Holy Spirit of God living inside of me. I can leave this resentment at the door Mm -hmm. and let him fight for me. Yeah, I I actually have a really similar story. A couple years back, this, quite frankly, a bully of mine growing up um, ended up coming into church and being put on a a service team with me. And it was so uncomfortable because I'm talking about from the time I was like maybe nine until I was 19. This young person just made my life really miserable. And it was the first time I had this true as an adult and believer, like well of resentment. And I remember looking at them and thinking like, how on earth are they serving in a church? And just all the thoughts you think, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. And I, it was so uncomfortable because like we made eye contact and I was like, oh, you, I I know who you are. (laughs) They don't know. I know. And it was the neatest thing, you guys. And this will probably lead us into practically what do you do with resentment. But I kid you not, this young man walked up to me. And I mean, I was shaking and goes, I want to apologize for the 10 years I terrorized you. I missed out on an amazing friendship in you when I look back. 
I've seen what a godly woman you've become, and I really lament how I treated you. Will you please forgive me? And it was the most disarming, truly Mm -hmm. one of the most pivotal things I've ever had another human do to me or, you know, offer me because I thought, oh, my goodness, like, I felt so freed. Mm-hmm. All those years of pain and resentment were just evaporated. And I was like, of course I can. I mean, that's what Jesus did for me. Of mm-hmm. course I can forgive you. Now I celebrate everything that that young man does. I'm just so happy. I'm like, wow, that is proof of God and Christ alone. Because no human can do what that that's guy amazing. just did. It's just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. What a gift that's to be beautiful. able to remove, like, to offer that forgiveness, like you said, Kelly. Yeah. And so it's really, really cool to have an opportunity to have forgiveness be asked for. And then I think I would speak to the women who are like, well, I'm still waiting on my person to come back and realize all the wrong that they've done to me. So I think if you're in a season where you're feeling resentment, I think a couple of things practically we would say is first, like literally seek the Lord every single day. And we know some of our listeners aren't yet believers in Christ Jesus. What that means is you, you have to first understand that there's sin that you've committed that separates you from this God who created you and who loves you. And if you are willing to bow your knees and accept his free gift of grace, that he sent his son to die for you and that he rose three days later, conquering death, all you have to do is go, I believe, I believe that. And you trust in that. And I mean, y'all, if I don't tell you, if your life isn't going to start all of a sudden, it's not going to be like up into the right. Everything changes and gets better and it's all roses and berries. But I will tell you that that feeling, that ache inside you that you've been holding on to will start to release. And so if you're struggling with it, seek the Lord every day. Ground yourself in scripture like we've talked about today on forgiveness and on um, just not holding on to resentment. Another verse that I think is really beautiful is Ephesians 4.32, where he just commands us, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And I think also just invite others to help. Um, having biblical community around you who can help encourage you, hold you accountable, help, you know, as it talks about, I think it's Galatians 6, too, is it like bear one another's mm-hmm. burdens, thereby mm-hmm. fulfilling the law of Christ. So we're really carrying that around with each other. And then once you've forgiven the person, if there are steps you can take towards rebuilding the relationship, then I would encourage you to take those steps. Like with Chelsea Shea, forgiving that guy who was in her life and taking steps to go, now I'm going to choose to like celebrate who he is and what he's doing. Now there's going to be times where that's either inappropriate or unfeasible. And I think that's totally okay. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's a lot of work in regeneration that we do that could help somebody down that path. Yes. I was just about to plug regen, uh, because the forgiveness (laughs) step was so helpful for me in understanding the difference between reconciliation and restoration. Like you can let go of that resentment no matter what, like if the person is not willing to engage in a conversation, if they, sometimes you have to walk through, like, what if this person is no longer alive? Like I'm still carrying this resentment and unforgiveness, like you can lay that at the feet of Jesus and let him have it. You can pursue reconciliation with people that it, it's wise to do that with. And then there's some times where you can pursue restoration. And then there's times where it's not the best thing to do. Like you can be reconciled and not be fully restored. Like you don't have to be best friends with people, but you will be so severely impacted if you do not deal with resentment and unforgiveness. It impacts you far more than anyone else. And Regen was a great place for me to work through that myself. So I will always plug Regen whenever I can. Man, it is so humbling to sit back and think of all of the ways in which we can just take ownership of 
our own actions. One thing I feel so convicted of is, man, there's some work to do in my heart. And after we've done this season two of just talking through some really challenging things, I got to tell you, I've learned so much from you girls and from all of our our guests. This has been Mm -hmm. such a beautiful season. And I do, I feel encouraged and spurred on to go home and take stock of the joys and the enthusiasm and to, quite frankly, ask some of those hard questions. Totally. And I think I've been really encouraged the the breadth of the episodes that we've covered this season. Like we were just talking about it before recording this episode. I mean, it has spanned hurts, habits, mm. hangups, all of the above. Mm. And every single one, the answer was Jesus. Like Absolutely. what mm. an incredible place that we get to be where every single one of these vastly different problems can be solved by Jesus. Yeah, and one of the big things we were asked about for this particular podcast was wanting to hear about, man, I'm overworked and I'm really ragged and tired. And we absolutely hear you, sis. That is why episode 201 of this season was on Sabbath. And so we want to point you back to episode 201 of the Collective Podcast. If you're feeling overworked, run down, tired, and you're just like, I need some help in this area, go back and give that a listen. Um, And we are just super excited to tell you that season three will be coming out. We are charted for a third season. And we also want to give you a little forecast after a season where we have dug deep. We have all collaborated and said, you know what? Season three is going to be upbeat. And so we want to balance out, which we need to. We needed to dig in and get some of this heavy stuff talked about because a lot of people don't talk about this. Mm -hmm. But in light of that, and we want to balance out. And next season, we're going to be coming at you with something super fun, Mm -hmm. super joy-filled. And we are so excited to celebrate a whole bunch of women in season three and tell you about their extraordinary lives of faithfulness. Yes, it is going to be amazing. And I would also tell the ladies at home, Chelsea Shea, to stay tuned this summer for perhaps a surprise that might be coming their way as well in the form of perhaps some bonus things. Who even knows what's going to happen? But I would just tell them to, you know, maybe go ahead and subscribe (laughs) and, and be notified when all the fun bonus things come at you. What Callie is alluding to is we have some amazing teaching from our latest collective event where all of our breakout teachers were recorded. And so we want to offer you those resources in the coming months. And so stay tuned. Definitely, definitely subscribe, girls, because this is some of the best teaching, quite frankly, I've, I've ever heard. The heart of this podcast is to highlight ordinary women living extraordinary lives of faithfulness and Callie and Holly it's such an honor to to get to do this with you both because truer words haven't been said about you girls and the trenches that we walk in and Kim Duncan. And Kim how Duncan. Kim Duncan is oh. our producer. You're not going to hear her voice on here, but she is the gal who carries us through this and organizes everything. And so we want to give a shout out to her. And, and we, her just truly behind the scenes, clicking away on her computer, doing a million Excel spreadsheets and just being an ordinary woman living an extraordinary life of faithfulness. And we know so many of you are out there doing the exact same thing. And we want to say, God sees you. We celebrate you. As we move forward into season three, we just want to let you know that the daily fight to renew our mind in Jesus Christ, Romans 12, 1, is that we see ourselves the way our creator sees us. And quite frankly, we cannot wait to do some more of that. The daily fight to renew our mind in Christ Jesus, Romans 12, 1. We have to see ourselves the way Jesus sees us. Girls, Jesus sees you and he loves you. Thank you so much for listening in this season. We can't wait to see you season three. This is all we have time for today. And if you want to learn more about The Collective, 
please visit our website, watermark.org slash collective and follow us on Instagram at watermark underscore collective. Be sure to share this episode with somebody who needs to hear it today. And if you have any questions, please email us. We want to talk. We've got a whole season. We've got a whole waiting season. We want to hear from you, sis. Um, and that email address is collective at watermark.org. We'll see you in a few short months next time on The